what we're going to do tonight is uh, talk about the blessing. And uh, here's the little book. It's a simple book. It's been um, printed. I don't know how many times you, of course, can download it on your uh, iPad, on any device. I have it on my iPhone. Uh, but it is a great book. And it's one of those books that you could simply listen to and read while you're going down the road, and it's not going to be that hard, okay? So uh, it's by Gary Smalley and John Trent. It was published, I think, about 15 years ago. And I came upon it right after it was published uh, and was blessed to. Uh, I came upon the book. Uh, I was a youth minister. By the way, we also have waters up here. I just saw that. But I, I was a youth minister and read the book, and when I did, it totally changed the way that I uh, did youth ministry. And then when I became a dad, it uh, has been the single biggest influence in the way that I uh, parent uh, kids. And uh, so, and when I say that, uh, Wendy and I have been blessed to not only parent our own two kids, but we've just had kids that have kind of streamed in and out of our house over the past few years. Uh, some of them are Montreat students who just hang out with us for every week. And then others are, um, are some students who, um, have, have been just in different circumstances and ended up in our house. And so this is, uh, has been most influential in my interaction with, uh, with kids and especially with Hannah and with Trent. What I want to talk about this morning, uh, this afternoon, before we talk about the blessing, I want to talk about how do you give something you never received? Um, so let me define the blessing, and then let me talk about how in the world do you give something, uh, because we're going to talk about giving the blessing, and how do you give the blessing? And then what we're going to do is we'll define the blessing, uh, how can you give something you never received, and then before you leave today, you will actually write down a blessing for each of your children. Okay, I know some of you have 12, and so that's going to be a challenge. But uh, you can get started, okay? But, but the goal will be for you to write down a blessing for each of, uh, each of your children. So, uh, so the question is, how can you give something that you have never received, and what is it that you're going to be giving? What Gary Smalley and John Trent do is they go to the Old Testament. They go to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, the, the patriarchs, and they look at how they blessed their children and based on how they blessed their children, they formulate five elements of a blessing that you and I should use to bless ours. Okay? So this is based on scripture. It is taking an Old Testament practice and making, taking some principles based on that practice. Okay? So if you're taking notes, you want to jot down these five things. These are the five elements of the blessing based on what they say. The first element is meaningful touch. It's meaningful touch. And when you bring a kid home from the hospital, uh, you know, for the first time, this begins. Just meaningful, uh, meaningful interaction with your, with your child by touching uh, uh, your child appropriately. The second is a spoken message. So the first is meaningful touch. The second is a spoken message, words you will learn to uh, say things that are uh, exactly and appropriately fitting for your children. Spoken message. Number three, attach high value. So you've got a meaningful touch, a spoken message, and number three, you attach high value. 
to your children. Number four, picture a special future. Picture a special future for your child. So you've got meaningful touch, a spoken message, you attach high value, you picture a special future. And number five, an active commitment. An active commitment. So meaningful touch, spoken message, we'll go into these in detail in a moment, attach high value, picture a special future, an active commitment. These are the five elements of the blessing. Let me interject by saying if you need more coffee, feel free to get up. Just very relaxed. Help yourself. Um, so, so those are the five elements of the blessing. The reality is that in this room of one, two, three, how many tables we got in here? We got about 55 people in here. In this room are people, many of whom never received what I just talked about. You never received the blessing from your own parents. Uh, You look back and you can't remember when you were one, two, maybe three, but then when you think back when you're old enough to remember, you don't remember meaningful touch from your mom or your dad. Uh, Maybe you got meaningful touch because they knew to hold you, but you don't remember uh, receiving from them uh, a spoken message uh, where they attached high value to you, where they demonstrated or uh, communicated an active commitment to you. And so how do you give what you never received? How do you turn around and give to your children what when you look back behind you, your mom and your dad, for whatever reason, never gave to you? Now, there are others of you who did. You look back on your childhood and you see your parents who never read this book, but for some reason they knew to to hug you every time they needed to or, you know, a swift kick in the pants every time you needed it. They knew meaningful touch. They knew attaching high value. They knew those things. They knew a spoken message. They knew to do it. They knew to demonstrate and um, communicate an active commitment to you. They just knew to do it. You're not exactly sure how they knew to do it. You just know that they did that. And as you sit here tonight, probably this is going to elicit in you significant gratitude. Because you're blessed. Because your parents got this for some reason. So for some of you, this will elicit significant gratitude. For others of you, you will sit here and the angst that you will have, this will bring up the pain of your own growing up. And how do you process and deal with that to where that you do not bring that pain into your own parenting? And you don't bring that stuff that you never got And the anger and the angst and the frustration that you feel because you never got it, you don't bring it to your family. And that's where you are. And that is that is a reality. How important is it? Let me read to you a passage of scripture. Uh, Jacob and Esau, twins. And Jacob was the deceiver, right? The supplanter. That's what his name means. And so he and his mom conspired to trick Um, uh, to trick Isaac. You remember the story? So they conspired to trick Isaac. And when they did, the result of that was that uh, 
that uh, Jacob put on those clothes so that he would be hairy like Esau. And he went out and killed a goat, I think it was. It was a tame animal, not a wild one, as I recall. And so he tricked his dad into blessing him, into giving him the blessing. And Isaac realizes it in Genesis 27, 33-38. Isaac realizes it. And then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came and I blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Don't miss the humanity of this passage. We have a tendency to read back into the Old Testament and to read it so theologically that we miss the humanity of the Old Testament. But listen to Esau. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. He wept. He lifted up his voice and wept. It wasn't anger. It was grief. Because he didn't get blessed by his dad. So I am convinced, and for all the years that I've worked with teenagers and then for all the time that I've had the privilege of parenting Hannah and Trent, that the number one thing my children cry out for is to be blessed. This is the number one thing. I don't think they realize it. But I think it is deep down in them. Dad, bless me. Mom, bless me. I am also convinced then that I as a parent and that you as parents possess a power unlike any other people on the face of the earth. There is no teacher who can do this, though teachers are wonderful. There's no kids worker at this church. Josh can't do this. Adrian can't do this once they get to youth ministry. You are in this unique position to bless your own children, to pour into them in significant ways. So, in light of that, let's look at what the blessing is. Meaningful touch. All right? So, meaningful touch. What does meaningful touch look like? If your kids are one, two years old, infants, what does mean? What is meaningful touch? Help me out. Huh? Hold them. Yeah, hold them. What else? Rock them. All right. Motion, holding them, cuddling them, kissing. 
eye contact, kissing them. All of those kinds of things are meaningful touch. All right. Let's say they're four, five, three, four, five, and six-year-old, and it's a boy. Meaningful touch. What's that? Say it loud. Wrestle. Absolutely. You get down in the ground, get them down on the ground, and you make them scream. What if they're a girl and they're three, four, five, or six? Wrestle them. Absolutely. You get them down on the ground and you make them scream and holler and yell. It's meaningful touch. I do not know how many times Wendy has yelled from the kitchen, would you all please hush? You there too, Emily? Because it's not fun until somebody's screaming. Right? You're wrestling your kid down. They're screaming like, daddy, daddy, I give, I give. That's the best part, right? And so wrestling, those kinds of things. All right, that is meaningful touch. I alluded to this in my sermon this morning, holding their hand when you go somewhere. That has a significant meaning. Uh, communicates security, communicates um, that, uh, that um, you're not going to leave their side, all kinds of things. I'm here, I'm with you. Meaningful touch. And, and, and hugs continue, right? Right? All right. Let's go. This travels all the way. How many of you are parents of teenagers? Raise your hands. All right. Raise them up high. Look around the room. All right. You guys are officially mentors to everybody else in the room. All right. So you're parents of teenagers. I'm a parent of a teenager. Uh, Teenage girl. Dad. Teenage girl. Meaningful touch. What does it look like? Put his arm around you. Okay. Your dad put his arm around you. Absolutely. Let me stop here and say something and, and just be as bold as I can. Dads, if you do not do this, they'll find a guy who will. Please hear me. If you do not, when your daughter becomes a teenager, show her meaningful touch as a teenager, she will find some boy who will show her some kind of meaningful touch, she thinks. And so it's, it's huge. Don't pull back. Sometimes dads get scared at this point because, oh, my gosh, you know, she's becoming a woman. What do I do? How do I handle this? How, how do I respond to her? Hugs are absolutely appropriate. My daughter, when she is here in worship and standing beside me sometimes, will reach over and just grab my hand, and she will hold my hand. She's 19. That is way okay. Meaningful touch. All right? 16-year-old wrestling? Mm, probably not. All right? It's probably out for a 16-year-old girl. She's not interested, and it's weird. All right? So you're probably not going to do that. Um, a boy, meaningful touch for, uh, for a teenage boy. What does it look like? Moms and dads, huh? Pat on the back, high five. If nobody's looking, you can sneak a hug, right? All right, fist, yeah, the fist thing, yeah, those kinds of things, those are uh, meaningful, meaningful, uh, uh, meaningful touch. If you're getting ready to, if he's getting ready to go somewhere, probably, you know, mom plants a kiss uh, on the cheek, that's entirely appropriate, uh, those kinds of things. But that ought to continue right all the way up till and through college. So, so meaningful touch, handshake. Absolutely, especially from a dad to a son. A handshake can communicate volumes. 
from a dad to a son. It's almost like an admission into manhood. And so father shakes son's hand, and they realize all of a sudden things have changed a little bit. It can be a congratulation, that kind of thing. So meaningful touch has to continue. To show you the power of touch, a study was done at the great University of South Carolina. <laughs> have to bust on this Clemson dude over here. Oh, wow. Two Clemson fans in the crowd. So, uh, by the way, I must, ha- must say that we were singing Jesus Paid It All a few weeks ago, and it slipped out. And, and I was supposed to be singing Sin Had Left a Crimson Stain, and I totally said Clemson. And I didn't mean to. <laughs> But anyway, uh, but the University of South Carolina, they did a study, a psychology class, did a study in the library, and uh, they did these, uh, uh, the study was done with a control group and, and uh, then the, the other group, and here's what they did. For some people checking out books, that's back when you checked out books from the library, for some people checking out books, um, they just handed the book like they normally did, and for the other people checking out book, they would hand the book to them and just pat them on the, the arm. All right, so the librarian would just do that. They did a survey as they were rolling out the other end of you know, front door of everyone, but they knew who had been touched and who had not. And those who had been touched had a much more favorable view of the library. Touch is important. Appropriate, meaningful touch. Um, let's talk about a spoken message. Uh, what do you think spoken message is? All right, don't try to get too complicated. What is a spoken message? Words, all right, you got to say something. You have to talk. If there's going to be a spoken message, you have to talk. And let me say something. In our culture today, we have so many different ways to do this. For my parents, it was just look at me and say something. But these days, you can Facebook, text. I mean, the list is long, right? All the ways you could talk, all the ways you can communicate. But a spoken message, all right, you have to use words. You have to use words. Smalley uh, or Trent, one of them tells the story of being on a football team when he was, I think, in high school. And he said he wasn't really a football type, but he was on the team anyway, and he was playing, and, and he would go out, and when he'd come out of the game, he'd just get chewed on every single time. And he said, I, he said, I just slipped kind of back into the crowd. I was so tired, you know, the, the, the players on the side. I was so tired of constantly being chewed on. And I slipped back into uh, the players. And I said, oh, why is this every time? And the guy standing beside me said, well, he never says anything to me. The fact that he's talking to you means he thinks that you have potential. Parents, it's the same way. Your silence communicates that you don't even see your kids as being worth your words. That's what it communicates, like the kid on the team. Your silence communicates that very thing. You got to talk. Some of you talk all the time, right? By nature, you're a talker. You just talk. Others of you don't, and you're married to somebody who does, so you're just glad they do, and you kind of sit around quietly, all right? At some point, you got to be able to step up and say something, right? At some point, you've got to communicate uh, in uh, a spoken message. 
Isaac spoke of, Abraham spoke a blessing to Isaac. Isaac spoke a blessing to Jacob. And Jacob spoke one to each of his 12 sons and two of his grandsons, Joseph's sons. A spoken message. Number three, attach high value. Genesis 27, verses 27 and 29. It's going to sound weird to us, all right? So if you, if you were to walk up, you know, to, um, to Tyler and you were to say, Tyler, the smell of you is like the smell of the field which the Lord is blessed. He's going to say, all right, what is Davin smoking? All right, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. That was a blessing from Jacob. If you look at that, it doesn't make sense to us, but it was high value because if you live in a total agrarian culture, a field that grows crops sustains life. And so if you look at your son and you say to your son or look at your daughter and say to your daughter, you know, God is going to use you tremendously to make a difference in this world. It's equivalent to saying you're a field that um, is, is fully blessed. That is exactly what is being done here. You attach high value. Now, you need to do that in such a way that it resonates with your children. So you have to use word pictures. Especially in our culture today, you can't, you, you know, yes, everybody's so visual. So what we have to do is train ourselves to be able to use word pictures. So what is a word picture? You use words to draw a picture, all right? For example, when I'm doing premarital counseling with couples, I will say to them, uh, because for men this is especially relevant because men uh, understand things visually much more than women, usually, not always, but usually. And so I'll say to a wife, if you want your husband to get it, and if your husband or uh, to, to a wife-to-be, and, and if your fiancé, if your husband-to-be has really hurt you and you think, you can look at him and say, ah, oh, That just really hurt me. Well, that's one way to go about it, right? But if you were to see an ant crawling across the porch and you stick out your heel and you just smush that ant and then you remove your shoe, your heel, and you say, honey, do you see that ant right there? That's how I feel right now. Dang. He's going to go, whoa, I did that? Right? That's a word picture. That's a word picture. You better learn to use word pictures. You better learn to use them so that your kids can understand and you paint a picture of attaching high value to them. Word pictures are incredibly important. Many of you know that Hannah, I adopted Hannah. So she wasn't my biological daughter, but I adopted Hannah. And so Hannah... As we were growing up, when I asked Wendy to marry me, Hannah was five. And so I gave Wendy a ring, gave Hannah a ring. And so we just have kind of been in that journey. And, you know, the cool part of the story is I happened to be there the day Hannah was born. I was on call with my church. And Wendy was in the church I was uh, working in. And so I went to the hospital, held Hannah the day she was born. Had no clue she'd be my daughter one day. Uh, But that's just the way God works, isn't it? But I would say this to Hannah again and again when she was probably between the ages of 6 and uh, 15, 16, 17. Here's what I'd say to her. I would say, Hannah, if all the little girls in the whole wide world were on a stage, I'd pick you all over again. 
I said that to her so much that occasionally she would come up to me and she would say, Daddy, this is when she was little. Or for a while, she called me Joey because she couldn't say ours. Joey. She would say, Joey, what would you do if all the little girls were on the stage? And you know what I'd say? All over again. Because in her mind, what is she doing? She's picturing her little self on this stage with all these little girls and daddy stepping onto that stage and picking her out of every one of them, right? It's a word picture. Those communicate volumes to your kids. You just got to practice, all right? So you're going to do that right now. I'm going to take a little break from speaking and this is what I want you to do. And you got to do this, so I'm going to check and then one of you is going to share from each table. All right, you're in charge of this table. Make sure they get their job done, Heather. And uh, let's see, Pat, you're in charge of this table. Make sure they get, Corey, you're in charge of this table. Make sure they get their job done. And let's see, Catherine, you're in charge of this table. And Debbie Moore, you're in charge of this table. Sarah, you're in charge of this table. And um, um, Leanne, you're in charge of this table. All right, as she leaves. You're not demonstrating an active commitment, Leanne, by leaving the table you're in charge of. (laughs) All right, so what do you do? Here's what you do is four word pictures I want you to come up with, all right? Four word pictures. That made me angry. A word picture for something that made you angry. That made me happy. I am very proud of you. I am very disappointed in you, all right? You've got what you have is... Five minutes to come up with four word pictures, all right? You'll choose one of those, and you'll share with everybody in the room, all right? And Dave, where's Dave? Can I get a mic that we can use to kind of rove around when we share? Is that cool? Thank you. Everybody got that? So come up with your word pictures. Choose whichever one. I'm so angry with you that I feel that steam will come out of my ears. All right, so steam will come out of my ears. I'm so angry with you. Why are we laughing over here? We ready? Who's going to share? All right, come on, Mark. You know that. Disappointed? You know how you felt when you dropped your ice cream? That's how you Oh! Whoa! That's good. So, so did you guys have the same one? That works with kids, right? You know how you felt when you dropped your ice cream? That's a great word picture because a kid knows how they feel when they do what? Drop an ice cream, right? All right, so what we have over here? Who, Catherine? All right, what one are you doing? Which one are you doing? Disappointed. Disappointed. Um, what if you had come out on Christmas morning and you find nothing under the tree at all except a pack of underwear? <laughs> except a pack of underwear. That would be disappointing. All right, what we got over here? Heather, who's sharing? Go ahead. Which one are you going to do? Okay, here you go. Everybody's taking two of ours. So how does that make you feel? Like it? No, I'm just kidding. Angry. All right, here. Hold that up close to your mouth. We said angry as when a friend breaks your new toy. A friend breaks your new toy. All right. What we got over here? Sarah? Proud? Uh, finally, something positive. Isn't it crazy? We're, I'll just come up with we We can do negative word pictures just like that. Okay, so uh, the uh, good grade on the test, and we got back here. What do we have, Miss Elliot? Well, since Daniel loves this thing, we 
if he told our children he was as happy as if he had a tree full of candy, they would know what he meant. It's a great word picture. Now let me talk about the ones that are the best. The ones that are the best take a normal everyday object and they attach value or meaning with that object. A normal everyday object. Uh, toy, ice cream, um, candy, whatever the case may be. Just That's how you do word pictures. You have to use everyday objects and take that object then and uh, put, that, put that over uh, on, into that word picture and that communicates uh, the best. Number four, picture a special future. You must paint a special future for your children. And the way you do that is to picture them as a blank canvas coming to you. You're an artist painting on that canvas and you picture this special, this special future for them. So I've done this in a couple of ways. Number one, I have two different passages of scripture, one that I pray for Trent every day and the other that I pray for Hannah every day. Uh, so, so, so for Trent, I pray Psalm 1 every day. Blessed is the man, which is word pictures, right? Who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of markers, but is light in the law of the Lord, and the law of the Lord, he meditates day and night. Here it is. Here's the word picture. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water which brings forth its fruit in its season his leaf will not wither and whatever he does he will prosper not so the wicked here's a negative word picture they are like chaff and so we don't know what chaff is much but chaff is this stuff that comes out of wheat which the wind blows so you get this steady stately tree and you get this blown by the wind chaff those are two word pictures right from psalm one and uh that's what i pray for uh Trent every day. For Hannah every day, I pray the passage from Proverbs uh, 3, verses 5 and 6. I pray that for her every day. She knows that. Trent doesn't know it yet. At the appropriate time, I'll communicate that with Trent. So, so praying a certain passage for them. But beyond that, picturing a, a special future for them. And I'll tell you how recently uh, that Wendy and I have had the opportunity to do this with both our kids. All right. So with Trent, it would be more me specific. And with, Wind, with Hannah, it was Wendy and me together. With uh, Trent, Trent has phenomenal people skills. He just does, all right? Sometimes they're overboard. Maybe 60% of the time they can be overboard. But uh, he's great pe- with people. He's great with older people. Maybe since Gogo has lived with us and Miss Harris lived behind us, old people don't weird him out or gross him out. Uh, he went visiting with me recently. And when uh, we went visiting, we went to see Luther Logan. You may know Ashley Logan who plays the drums here. Well, her dad, in November, will be 90 years old. So we went to see Luther. And uh, Trent is great with Luther, but then Trent loves Josh's kids. I mean, he, he will he'll want to hang out with Scott. He's just good with people. So one day we were trekking somewhere to do something uh, that had to do with people, and I looked at Trent, and I said, Trent, you are so good with people. I really don't know exactly what, how God is, what God is going to have you do, but I am convinced it will be with people because you're great with old people and you're good with little children and, and you're good with your friends. You're really good with people. God is going to use that in a tremendous way. That is painting a bright future. If you don't do that, your kids are going to wonder, where am I going to end up? Your job is to speak that into their lives, is to communicate that. 
All right, so you paint a special future. Now, for Hannah, Hannah's in college, and she's playing volleyball like she wanted to. Uh, she Honestly, it wasn't her dream to go to a community college. She would have preferred to go to, like, a four-year school, but that's the way it worked out, and it's been wonderful. And, and Hannah's done really well uh, at her community college and that kind of thing. And Hannah, for whatever reason, when she was in seventh grade, wrote an essay saying that she would be a missionary in seventh grade. I never pushed it. I've never pushed any of my kids, uh, either of my kids to go into ministry. Just have never done that. So, so she said she was going to do that. So now she is in, in college and Wendy and I have been to the couples, uh, retreat, uh, down at the beach, I guess in the spring and we were trekking back and this is how it changes. We stopped in Hickory and Hannah drove from her apartment and we met her at Starbucks. All right, so that's a world of different than saying, Hannah, if all the girls were on the stage, and right? It is totally transitioned now. We're meeting our daughter, and we're drinking coffee, or Wendy drinks fake coffee, and because um, she hates coffee, right, honey? Yeah, and uh, like a great word picture would be, honey, I hate that like I hate coffee, and I would get that, right? So, so, uh, so we stopped to meet Hannah, and we said, Hannah, how are things going, how's school, et cetera, et cetera. They had had a fantastic volleyball season, and it was really good. It was Hannah had to change positions, so she's playing libero. She had never played that, but then she had moved to that position. Her t- team went undefeated in regular season, undefeated in the postseason, and then went to the national tournament. And just had a blast. So she's had a great season in volleyball. So I said, Hannah, how are you doing? And she said, well, she was taking anatomy and physiology. We have some nurses in the room. That course will kick your tail, all right? That's what I've heard. It will kick your tail. And so she's taking it, and it was kicking her tail. And I said, uh, so, Hannah, you still want to be a dental hygienist? And she said, yeah. And I said, why? She said, so I can go in the mission field. I said, okay. So I'm assuming you're going to work here in the United States and then do, like, short-term mission things. And she said, no. I plan to live in another country for the rest of my life. I said, okay. And so Wendy's there gulping, you know, as she's listening to this. And, and I'm there, poker face, you know. And I said, okay, all right, that's cool. I said, then why are you doing dental hygiene? She said, to get me in another country. I said, Hannah, they have degrees in missions. You could go get a degree in cross-cultural, intercultural studies, do a two-year uh, a stint uh, as a journeyman with the International Mission Board, and uh, then come back to seminary, get your seminary degree, and you trek off and and go wherever God's called you to the mission field and where you would you were to be assigned. She said, are you serious? I said, oh, yeah. You can do that. Totally, specifically put her on a t- trajectory toward the rest of her life. When we did that, she has referred back to that one conversation time and time and time again. And now she's set. She knows where she's going to go, where she wants to go, the degree she wants to get, that she wants to do a two-year deal, that she most likely will come back, do seminary, and then once she does seminary, be appointed by the mission board, and she'll trek off to the mission field. That's what she knows. And for her to paint that future, it had to be incredibly specific at that point. Now, parents, it, it would save your kids a lot of heartache if you sat them down and helped them to realize what they can and cannot do. Well, there's some things we all know they can't do, all right? So I'm about to jump on some toes real big. Most of them will not be in the NFL, the NBA, um, or the, 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 the major leagues in baseball, okay? 
All right. Hannah, Hannah uh, texted me um, uh, a week or two ago, and they have a new girl on their, on their team. She's a little prima donna, and she's thinking she's all that. And Hannah's very next text to me was, we do play for a community college. <laughs> like, I don't know who she thinks she is, but we are a community college. <laughs> That's a good perspective, right? This isn't Penn State, all right? Which is, you know, the big team in, in volleyball. And so, um, so there are some things you know they cannot do. If, if they're crazy reserved, most likely uh, they will not speak publicly. They just most likely will not. So you begin by ruling out things you know they, they would never do. And then direct them as you see their talents and abilities unfold to possibilities. You don't have to like, you know, narrow it down. I don't believe the will of God works that way, by the way. You don't have to narrow it down. You simply put something on the board of their lives that says, this is what I can see you doing, like I did for Trent. Whatever gifts Addie has, affirm those, direct her in those, whatever they are. And she has them. Every one of your kids is gifted by God. Psalm 139 drops this home. So your job as a parent is to somehow take what you are observing and begin at the appropriate time to direct that. And that will help your kids from wandering all over the place. Now, we live in a world where that's kind of acceptable and okay, and kids live at home until they're in their mid-30s, right? And that's just kind of the norm these days. But, uh, and some of you are saying, not my kids. (laughs) They're not living at home that long. (laughs) And hopefully that won't be the case. But we do have the boomerang generation. You know, parents send them out, and they just boomerang drop back. Um, So how do you avoid that? You help direct your kids. You help shape their future. Paint a bright, uh, paint a picture, a special future for them. Number five is an active commitment. All right, an active commitment. Let me talk about this basically. All right, this means, are you ready? That if the only reason that you are staying married is for your children, then stay married for your children. And pray to God your marriage improves and do everything in your power to improve your marriage. The worst display of being uncommitted to your children is to divorce. It rocks their world. If you're struggling and you're fighting, don't do that in front of your kids. Freaks them out. Pull back. Find a time when your kids are not right there listening to you and deal with your stuff. Number two, what does an active commitment look like? Decide what you will provide for them financially, educationally, those kinds of things, and move toward that goal. For Wendy and me, our goal is to pay. I paid and worked my way through college, but our goal is to provide college for both our children and so we order our lives all around it. So much so that, that it necessitated when Hannah's engine blew about six weeks ago, just, you know, out of the blue it went. Uh, had to put a brand new motor, clutch, timing belt, radiator, hoses in her car. And so I no longer own my little red pickup. Why? Because if we're going to put her through college, I had to sell the pickup to pay to put the motor in her car. 
And that's just what you do. It's an active commitment. That's what it is. Whatever God leads you to do, be actively committed to that. Let me give you an example. It's a good word picture. But if you look at your kid and say, you're an amazing pianist. Like you've heard her and she just like gets on the piano and boom, all of a sudden she's able to do it. But there's no piano in your house. That is not an active commitment. Does that make sense? That's not an active commitment. If, if you want your kids to be committed to their education, but you spend more time on the, on the court or on the field with him, you're committed to the court and the field, not their education. You can't speak out of both sides of your mouth. They read through that just like that. Children do, teenagers do. An active commitment is to, uh, to say to your children, this is exactly you know, what I see in you, and we're going to do everything in our power to make sure it happens. An active commitment, one of the things I want to ask you to do before you go, and I am so thrilled you're here and honored. All right, there's 60 of you here, and I'm thrilled about that. 60 of you uh, representing, I counted around while you were doing your thing, 36 different families. All right, so when you think about that, and all of the families that are represented in this room here, 36 different families. Just the number of children that are represented in this room is remarkable. And the opportunity to make a difference in their lives is significant. So so another thing of an active commitment is to be actively engaged in a local church. Actively engaged. And one of the little forms I have for you, because we uh, are earnestly seeking, Andrew, Josh, and I, earnestly seeking the very best way to minister to you as parents. And this little form is part of active commitment. And at the top it says, I'm involved in a Bible fellowship uh, group or a small group. Uh, I'm not involved in a Bible fellowship group. And the group that I think would would best help me grow as a follower of Jesus Christ and work with my schedule is, and there are four options. And we just want you to choose which one of those options you think would best work. And guess what? We will come up with that so that you can be with other parents and not, not go this alone. All right? And so the four options are Bible fellowship groups, either at 8, 39, 30, or 11. Or if you prefer a small group that meets in the home, then we'll, we'll find a leader and do a small group that meets in a home. So we're going to do that in a moment. All right, so those are the five elements of the blessing. First one is what? Meaningful touch. All right, what's the second? Spoken message. Good job. What's the third? Attaching high value. Fourth, picture a special future. Number five, active commitment. So here's what I want you to do. At 6.05, we have uh, about 10 minutes to go. What I want you to do is then take these cards that are in the middle of your table, these, uh, uh, these index cards, all right? So take whatever's left there. We can go get more if we need them. You need one for each child. All right, so what I want you to do is begin to write. I know you will not finish, so take one child, one child, and begin to write a blessing for your, if you have more than one child, just choose one, and begin to write a blessing, a written blessing for your child. The blessing must include this, all right? Obviously, spoken or, or, or physical touch is not going to be, meaningful touch is not, but a attach high value, picture a special future, and active commitment. All right, so write a blessing. 
making sure that you attach high value, you picture a special future, and you demonstrate your active commitment to your child. So you're going to have about five minutes, and that's not near enough time, I know that. The seminar really could have gone for two hours, and we wouldn't cover everything. But we're packing it in just to be sensitive to your schedules. Yeah, uh, and here's what it looks like. Uh, we'll, uh, I will, um, let, me, let me just give one, let's say if I were doing this for Hannah. God, you put me on the spot. Let's just say I were doing this for Hannah. I would say, uh, uh, Hannah, I love your heart for others. I have observed how you reach out to people all around you, especially people right now on your volleyball team. I know that God is going to use you tremendously in the future to touch people's lives that you have yet to meet. Please know that your mom and I fully support God's will for your life as you move forward in this future, especially if it leads you to another country and even if it breaks our hearts. We're excited about how God is going to use you. Does that make sense? All right. If you've got little, little children, you're going to have to be creative, right? All you've seen them do is spit and poop. All right. Okay. You guys should, uh, I know you've got plenty more to work on in doing that. Um, let me just share a couple of things with you. What I want you to do as homework is obviously do a written blessing and then make a plan with each of your children to sit down and communicate this blessing to them. Okay. Uh, just figure out how you're going to do it. Will it be over dinner or will you take them to, you, you know, as I shared with, the, with you this morning with Trent, obviously we could do this at Wasabi's in Asheville and we'd have the blessing of sushi and the blessing of, of uh, the spoken blessing, right? But, but for your kids, it may be, you know, in a certain place that they just love and it brings great memories, but you want this to be a meaningful thing. And then you will constantly re-communicate this again and again and again. And it may adjust. It may change. Um, as your kids grow and you see God working in their lives, feel free to allow it to do that. Also, I want to share with you, I know you're busy. And for some of you, you may say, I do not have time to read this book. And that's okay if you don't. If you will go Google if you will go Google, uh, focus on the family and blessing your child, you will pull up this right here, all right? It's the Cliff Notes version. This is actually from a presentation that Trent and Smalley do. This will give you just the Cliff Notes version of the book. And if you're busy, I understand, you don't have time to read. Or if you're not a reader, some people are not, here you go. Okay, you can get that, and that will be helpful. Otherwise, Amazon or go to iBooks. If you download books, you can get this for about ten bucks. Uh, Amazon, you can probably get it for or eBay or someplace like that. You know, for a penny or something, some used book there. Um, on the sheet that I gave you, the uh, sheet that looks like this. If either you are involved, if you're involved and you're happy, you feel like your needs are being met where you're involved, just check that. Put your name and your email address. If you aren't, please check the second one and tell us when and what would work best for you. Okay? Uh, so a Bible fellowship group is defined as a group of 15 to 20. We have, uh, I think the one that I'm in is larger than that, but most Bible fellowship groups at Grace are 15 to 20 people, so that's a medium-sized group. Uh, but small groups 
uh, are comprised of eight to ten people. So that would be four couples, we'd say, a small group. So if you would prefer a medium-sized Bible fellowship group, offered at three different times on Sunday morning. Uh, if you would, would prefer a small group, then just check that, and that will be offered throughout the week based on when that group could meet and get together, and it works out for that group, all right? So please complete these. Your um, thank you to me for presenting this tonight is to turn this in because this helps us to minister to you as families as best we can.